What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, aka John and John. Well, we've got Christmas coming, and I want to start today's episode by talking about the best Christmas gift I ever got. And Wilner, I want you to tell our audience the, about the best, most exciting Christmas gift you ever got as a kid. The thing that that I always tell people is, you know, I was like 9 or 10. I was like that diehard sports fan, football fan, particularly 49er fan who uh, just could not get enough of football in the NFL. And my parents, when I was uh, 9 or 10, got me electric football. Do you remember oh. that big that big sheet of metal, Wilner, that bang, oh, would vibrate? I remember it well. <laughs> Did you have one of those? Oh, for sure. And I also remember never being able to complete a pass. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we, it was... Uh, it was a lot of uh, eighteen late eighteen hundreds football being played in my living room on that thing. Oh but, yeah! But it would take forever to set the plays up. Most of the time, you know, they didn't do what you wanted them to do. But every once in a while, Wilner, every once in a blue moon, the hole would open, the running back would run through it with the ball, and go sixty-five yards for a touchdown, and it would make the entire thing. Uh, you know, worthwhile. And I, I just, I yes. remember, I, I remember ripping that package open when my parents got that present. And we were one of those families too, where like my parents didn't ruin us. We're busy ruining our children, giving them everything that they want for Christmas. Like we got one thing for Christmas, you know, every year. And it, I got electric football and it was a game changer for me. It gave me hours and hours and hours of enjoyment. And I, I still look fondly upon it. And we bought that gift for a family friend's kid and for a nephew of mine once. And I don't think they quite got it in the way I did because they have video games now and everything's too good. And, you know, yep. but back in the day, man, we just played electric football. Um, it was so hard to get the football to stay in the quarterback's. <laughs> yes. What, what the arm, whatever the arm thing, right? The slit, yes. there was the little slit in the football. And I just. I could never get the passes completed. I remember that. It was definitely like, uh, you know, a, a, a service academy game, right? All yes. runs. 100%. Leather helmets uh, all the way. But um, I still have that damn electric football game. And, you know, I plug it in and the kids are not impressed. And it vibrates and the players all shake in different directions. But I got electric football and I my jaw dropped. It was the greatest Christmas gift I ever got. Most memorable gift I ever got as a kid. How about you? What do you remember from Christmas? Uh, yeah, I certainly remember getting one of those, uh, you know, big portable radio cassette players with the detachable speakers, a boom box and being able to kind of take that around with me, probably to a few places I shouldn't have taken it. But, uh, I, and I can't remember, I probably was like, you know, mid teens, 14, 15, something like that when I got it. But that, that thing was awesome. You put that thing up on your shoulder and walk down the street. Did you put it up on the. That's right. Put yeah. it up on my shoulder. Take it to take it to the park. Play basketball. Detach those speakers. Play it as loud as possible. Exactly the type of kid that I, as a parent, would think. What What are they doing? You know. But <laughs> it was great back then. You know what is a great Christmas present now? What? King salmon. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. Segway. Uh, uh, segway. That's right. And I'm a personal segue this time because uh, we have ordered, we placed an order with Pacific Seafood recently. You did it. I, oh, yeah. It's coming. Uh, I think it's coming next week. We are stoked. We ordered king salmon. Uh, we ordered sable fish, which is like cod, uh, halibut. We got some uh, the protein pack with some uh, wagyu beef. Nice. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna feed the family through the holidays. Pacific Seafood is the sponsor of today's episode. We want to thank them for their support, and uh, you can be like Wilner. You can order from PacificSeafood.com. And uh, check out the full offering of Pacific Seafood's um, menu. And, you know, they've been uh, serving the ocean since the 1940s. And if you use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner at checkout, you'll get 12% off your offer as well. So uh, let us know what you're ordering. And, Wilner, let us know how that goes when you, uh, when you receive it. I'm curious to see I what your indeed. favorite will be. I will indeed. Pacific Seafood is a, a third-generation family-owned business in Portland. It's on a mission to feed the world the healthiest protein on the planet, and they will de deliver, ship all over the continental U.S. So uh, there's an order coming in here to San Jose. I think the, uh, I think it's coming from one of their outlets in Sacramento. Nice. So uh, look, yeah, looking forward to it. I'm, you know, I'm going to probably order some for my parents. I hope they're not listening to this episode for, for Christmas, and I think I'll send them something that that, that rings a bell with me. So I'm going to jump online and do that as well. Um, you had some reporting on the Pac-12's lawsuit. Everybody asking me what's going on, when's it going to end. Um, you tell me what's the latest, Wilner, when it as it come pertains to the Pac-2 versus the departing ten. Well, so Washington State and Oregon State, as is their right granted by the judge in Whitman County, Washington, uh, who basically said the only board Pac-12 governing board business can happen if it's unanimous and the PAC 12 usually distributes 15% of its annual revenue in December this year, that would equate to about 5 million bucks per school. Washington state and Oregon state didn't want that to happen. So they blocked it. So there's no vote. There's no approval. That money will sit uh, in the conference's bank account and not get to the campuses uh, at least anytime soon. So obviously everybody, why would they do that? Doesn't everybody need the money? Yeah, sure, everybody needs the money. The main issue is, as I see it, uh, as it regards the current year's revenue, right? And we're talking about $400 million in revenue that is supposed to be distributed to the 12 campuses during this fiscal year. The big issue is the, is the liabilities and what the plan is to pay for the liability. So let, here's gonna, I'm gonna outline what I think is the Washington State and Oregon State thinking on this. They are worried that they distribute the $400 million to the 12 campuses, right? And so then we get to next summer and the 10 schools leave, right? Washington State and Oregon State are left. They have the PAC-2 and they have assets, a decent size, decent amount of assets. The other schools have left. Next winter, the NCAA loses a lawsuit, a class action antitrust lawsuit. And the damage in that lawsuit is about three or four billion dollars. The Pac-12 is a named defendant in this lawsuit. Pac-12, Big 12, ACC, Big 10, SEC, 
and the NCAA. So the Power Five conferences are named defendants. So what happens is the 10 schools leave. There's no money left to handle the the damages in this lawsuit. And next winter, the Pac-12, as a named defendant, is on the hook for, I don't know, a half a billion dollars in this lawsuit. So the, the two schools are worried that there's no plan to pay those damages. So they don't want any of the current year's revenue distributed until there's a plan to pay for the damages. The other 10 schools will be in new conferences. You know, 18 school conferences, 16 school conferences, uh, 14 school conferences, whatever. So they will have, you know, and, and those leagues will be on the hook for damages too, but it will be divided differently. I think Washington State and Oregon State are looking at two schools responsible for a half a billion dollars in damages, and and they want some security uh, with that. And so I think that is what the holdup is at this point. It's just my guess. It makes sense. Everybody in college athletics is petrified of this lawsuit. It's a former Arizona State swimmer named Grant House is the is the plaintiff, uh, and it is seeking. You know, $1.5 billion in damages, but because it's an antitrust suit, damages could get trebled. Uh, so we're talking about 4 or $5 billion. NCAA's record in court is terrible. So everybody in college athletics thinks this is going to be monumental. And Washington State and Oregon State are just trying to protect themselves so that they are not part of a two-team conference that has no – no reserves available to deal with a half a billion dollar in damage. And I think anybody in their position would do the same thing. Like anybody in their position would say, hey, we need to play defense here because this could be a catastrophic outcome. And it certainly points in that direction. Um, I wonder if the ultimate decision, though, in that lawsuit, House versus the NCAA, ends up ends up with the individual NCAA schools being assign damages and but i i don't blame oregon state and washington state one bit i think anybody in their position would have done what what they're doing right i think so absolutely uh you know and there's other liabilities for the pac-12 right there's i mean there's the conference has got a whole bunch of lawsuits uh but nothing can uh compare to that one and and one of the attorneys for the plaintiffs actually said the other day that the estimates are low and that the real number after the tripling uh, could could be, you know, closer to eight or 10 billion in damages. So I kind of think that there'll be some kind of settlement, but it's going to be a whopper and it's going to probably happen after the 10 schools have left. Right. And those schools are going to have, you know, uh, solid uh, media rights revenue, postseason revenue from their new conferences. The damages will be divided, uh, you know, among far more schools. Meanwhile, Washington State and Oregon State are, are are left left alone to deal with all of it, and and certainly it is a uh, it is a huge issue. Uh, I talked to somebody a couple of weeks ago and co- who's been in college athletics a long time. They said that this is the biggest threat ever to the NCAA and to the economic model. Uh, this house case, so we'll see how it how it turns out. But it's certainly something over and beyond what the impact it's having on the Pac-12 lawsuit. And what happens with the conference, fans should be paying attention just because it's going to change college sports. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You see Charlie Baker coming out, and everybody's heard about his 
you know, he's spitballing about wanting to change the framework of college athletics, and suddenly it's about, you know, creating this upper tier that is going to provide um, opportunities to their athletes and, you know, do some revenue sharing maybe with athletes and, you know, how many schools are in that, you know, who knows, 50 or 100, how much money will it cost, 6 million, 11 million a year, who knows. But um, I think it's just interesting to see amid that kind of lawsuit that you've got Charlie Baker in the background kind of mirroring that thinking going, you know, we definitely need to be sharing that revenue moving forward. And I kind of think Oregon State and Washington State, you know, on the Baker proposal, um, had to sit up in their chair when they heard that because, you know, they've been looking into the abyss for a, for a, since August. And that could present football or the haves splitting away. And I think Oregon State and Washington State would probably welcome a little bit of reorganization or a shakeup of the ecosystem. So I'm paying attention to that as well, just seeing, like, what are Oregon State and Washington State going to be? Do they view themselves as those kinds of schools that could afford to pay and join that, you know, that upper tier that Charlie Baker's talking about or or not? Like, that's to be determined. Um, I kind of got into the Pac-12 network this week. I want to know what you think of this, Wilner. Oliver Luck still involved and still consulting with the Pac-2. I'm told that he is now focused on the future of the Pac-12 network. You and I have both written about and talked about that 42,000-square-foot office space in Bishop Ranch in San Ramon, California, state-of-the-art facility. There's a five-year lease that they signed last January. Everybody who's been there tells me that the facility is state-of-the-art. It's phenomenal. Um, So the Pac-2 is having Oliver Luck look into whether or not the Pac-12 networks can stay open and operate as an, uh, a production company that would produce live sports programming for maybe the Pac-2 schools in their football games and maybe Amazon or Apple or Major League Baseball or the new National Women's Soccer League or even, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but this is being talked about, but even maybe providing some services to the 10 departing schools who still have some production needs and are still very much connected via the, you know, fiber optic lines on their own campuses with the Pac-12 networks. Like, what do you make of that, Oliver Luck, and seeing seeing if the Pac-12 network has a future? Yeah, I don't know for sure about the schools going into the Big Ten, but I do know the schools that are going into the ACC and the Big 12, right, because of the ESPN deal and the, the digital component to that, they all have got to create uh, – on-campus production sites to, to feed ESPN, you know, and these are I, when the ACC schools uh, originally built their production sites, it was like eight, $10 million. It's a big on-campus expense that they're all going to have to do. And it's possible that somehow, I don't know all the, the ins and outs of the technology, but it certainly seems like they should be looking to see if the Pac-12 networks can help them with that technology piece. Now, who owns it, right? I mean, is that something where Washington State and Oregon State end up owning the Pac-12 networks and they and they basically lease out technology to the to the other schools for the production uh, piece of it? I don't I don't know. It just seems like uh, there's too much cutting edge technology. There's too much uh, you know uh, institutional knowledge uh, and 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 production experts in San Ramon for that thing to just 
you know, get sold for for parts, right? They got to be able to find a way to make make it work either for the for the two or or for another a third party or for the departing 10. Yeah, so they have Oliver Luck working on you know, is that a business? Is there a business plan there? Is there a model there? And I think there is. It, 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 to your point about the Big 12 and the ACC and even the Big 10 to some extent, you know, ESPN and Fox have a certain number of trucks that they will send out on college football weekends. And everybody knows about the ESPN trucks and some of the problems that they have had with low resolution on some of the broadcasts, especially those those Pac-12 broadcasts. But um, you know, I'm told that, you know, sometimes there's just a shortage of available trucks, available production. And oh, by the way, the campuses, you know, the stadiums and the cameras in the stadiums were all connected to the Pac-12 networks, you know, headquarters as a hub. And so there's a, uh, a real opportunity here for the Pac-12 networks to come in and go, hey, ESPN, we can pick up. Um, you know, we can pick up a Utah game. We can pick up an Arizona State game or an Arizona game or even a Washington or Oregon game if it's needed. And so there's some business there. I'm told that the Pac-12 Network is already doing some stuff for Amazon. There's some MLB teams that uh, have been left in a tricky position with their regional sports networks that may need some, you know, live sports production work. And then there's the new National Women's Soccer League that's popped up. And so I think there may be a business there that goes well beyond what the Pac-12 networks were supposed to do. But let's see. Oliver Lux on the, on the, uh, on the case. I reached out to him. He did not return messages. But um, I did reach out to some of the schools. They are, uh, you know, for 10, 11 years, to your point, Wilner, they all sort of leaned on the Pac-12 networks for a lot of that production. And, you know, they're going to, you know, for some of them, they don't have on-campus, on-site, uh, capability yet. And so there may be a need there, ironically, for the Pac-12 network to uh, yeah. to help out. Yeah, it'd be something if uh, 12 years late, uh, right, it, it actually proves to be a benefit uh, on the business side for for the conference. That would be something. That would be quite the twist. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and another thing I had at johnconzano.com was, you know, the Teresa Gold, who is a deputy commissioner in the Pac-12 has also been charged by Washington State and Oregon State to explore what it would take to keep the conference office open after August 1st. How many employees would you need? What would they be doing? You know, do you have to maintain a website? Do you have, is somebody opening the mail? Is somebody picking up the phone? How many sports are you managing inside the office? How quickly, you know, would Oregon State, Washington State even think about adding schools? So, you know, they're, they're exploring right now how many employees and, you know, most people spitballing are saying 10 to 20 full-time employees may stick around beyond August one. But that is something I'm told the PAC 12 is working on right now because you don't want to shutter the thing and be like, Hey, last person out, turn off the lights. And then, Oh, by the way, you know, Oregon state, Washington state have some needs, you know, you're going to have to function as a conference, even if it's the PAC two. You are. And Teresa is, perfectly capable of serving as the commissioner once, you know, Kliokov departs whenever that's going to be. I mean, she's, she, she's as, as knows more about college sports than, than he does more, you know, more than Larry Scott. Right. I mean, she's been spent her, her professional life in it. She would be a, uh, an ideal pack two commissioner. Right. I mean, she should 
be running the conference right now in some ways. I, by the way, I called around and I found out, you know, the Mountain West Conference has 23 full-time employees in their office. The Big Sky has 12. How many do you think the Big Ten has? Spitball. Take a guess. Are we talking about not including the Big Ten Network? No, just the conference side. Uh, 75. 55. 55. Nice and lean in Chicago. 55. Pac-12 had more than that, I believe, before before the COVID layoffs, for sure. Pac-12 had more than that. I don't remember what it had, at, you know, prior to August 4th, so to speak you know, so to speak. But yeah, Big Ten, I mean, the other conferences have done a much better job of being lean, right? There was no, nothing lean about the Pac-12 for, for many years. 192 full-time employees, including the Pac-12 networks. So Yeah, uh, the networks, I think, yeah. are at least, are probably half of that at least. Yeah. But it's still, uh, there's there there were a lot of bodies there and a lot of talented people. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, do they keep someone around to manage the website? social media accounts how many people do you need if you're oregon state and washington state and you're gonna you know you're playing this partnership with the mountain west and you've got some other sports it looks like you know they're talking i'm told they're talking with the wcc and they're talking with the mountain west for some of the olympic sports maybe a little big west but you know how many people do you need inside the conference office to kind of maintain the idea that you are still a conference because you know, even during the Pac-12 championship game, we all kept saying it was the last Pac-12 championship game. This is so sad. And I and I know what we meant. But there were some bad feelings at Oregon State and Washington State with people going, hey, wait a minute. You know, this conference this conference still has two members beyond August 1. And, you know, that's how they're viewing it. The other question is, or one of many questions, who's going to own the video? Who is going to own the video of John Wooden's dynasty? Who is going to own the video of, you know, Marcus Allen and and Charles White and USC and all that stuff? I, I don't know the answer, but I'm sure that that's part of the discussions here because the video archives have got to have some kind of value. That's for sure. I think that there's tremendous value there. You talk about assets that you have to unpack. Yep. You know, these are things nobody talks about. And, and certainly um, for those of us out there that are, like waxing nostalgic going, Hey, when football splinters away, can the other sports come back? Like, can the PAC 12 come back and put itself back together again? Um, you know, that question for another day podcast for another day. But I, you know, I would hope that like the archival footage of John Wooden and Pete Newell and, you know, uh, everything that the PAC 12 did over those years is, you know, not, not, uh, lost and missing. Yeah. Uh, I, it, I did a, uh, I did a whole, Kind of look ahead to December of 2033, Pac-12Hotline.com, by the way. Uh, you know, about, and I kind of envisioned a scenario in which the Pac-12 ends up reforming as the Pac-14, and there is a super league of about 24 schools that would include uh, Washington, Oregon, and USC, but nobody else from the current conference. And that super league is funded by private equity and that everybody else has reformed into these regional leagues uh, because all of these lawsuits and economic pressures on the NCAA basically become untenable for the athletic departments. And only the, 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 uh, the networks are only will because of what happens in sports media, the networks are only willing to pay for the best of the best. 
I mean, right now, right? I mean, NBC, CBS, and Fox are paying a billion dollars a year to broadcast a Big Ten. They're, they don't need, they don't want Minnesota against Indiana, right? They're not paying for that. They're paying for Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Eventually, the the pressures are going to be such that the networks are only going to are going to say we're only going to pay for the best. We are not going to do a conference TV deal. We are going to do in, deals with individual schools, and those schools are going to break away and form their own super league, and then everybody else will kind of recreate re- regional conferences. It, along that note, I'll just touch on this quickly, and then we'll go to the bowl games. But you know, I've been looking at what can Oregon State and Washington State sell those home football games for and and you know i called around to some industry sources in oregon state let's just use them as the example they're going to have seven home games oregon purdue oh idaho state cal likely washington state probably some mountain west games in there and i started asking you know people who have negotiated deals what can they get for this the prevailing thought is that not, there's not going to be one entity that buys all of Oregon State's games. That'd be kind of silly. If they end up not being very good, then you're stuck with seven football games and you don't have anywhere to put them. But that they'll kind of sell them all a cart and piecemeal them out. Maybe ESPN takes a game. Maybe Fox takes a game. Maybe CBS takes a game. Maybe, maybe the Mountain West uh, crossover games go to Fox and, and CBS because they already have that deal. And maybe some of the games end up on a regional sports network like Root. And so the prevailing thought was that Oregon State can probably get between 5 and $7 million. I was told, you know, by one person who has negotiated deals that there's not $10 million worth of games there. There's not, it's not that much value. So I kind of think, Wilner, and you tell me what you think of this, that, that the, you know, Oregon State, of course, and Washington State want to get as much as they possibly can for those games doesn't include any men's basketball. It'd be limited just to these football games being sold all the cart. And, you know, you don't have like the normal crossover games inside a conference that would boost the value of those of the package. But I'm kind of thinking that, you know, they'll sell the premium games like the Oregon game, Purdue, maybe Cal. And then the Mountain West games would maybe go to Fox or CBS. But I think they'll value distribution and exposure because if I'm Oregon State and Washington State of course you want money but you also need to tell people you're alive and well and you're visible and so I I actually think they might take a little less money if they can be more visible and more present and you know get a lot of eyeballs on them that they might not otherwise have yeah and that makes perfect sense I mean they need that for recruiting for all kinds of things and and certainly if they want to try to make their case a few years for inclusion in and in one of the power four conferences that that visibility is going to be paramount much more. They, they should absolutely trade, uh, you know, money for visibility for the next two seasons. There's no, no question about that. Being forgotten uh, is, would be the, the worst outcome for them. Let's do some bowl games. I'm John Canzano. You can reach me and read me at johnconzano.com. He's John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, and him at Pac12Hotline.com. Uh, Wilner, let's turn our focus uh, to the bowl games. Let's start with the Vegas Bowl. Um, do you want to start with that one, or where do you want to start? How about what if we yeah. go in chronological order? Let's do it. I've got it because I, I um, because there are game, two games this weekend, kind of kind of coming quick. And by the way, uh, if next year 
this week, next next year, we're getting ready for the first round of the playoffs. That's what it, it's going to be this weekend uh, in December, starting next next year. We got this is a playoff week, so that is, and for schools that are hope, hosting games, first round games on campus, that is going to be something else. So just a just a little aside to let people know what's coming. Um, first game is the LA Bowl, so that's Saturday the sixteenth. It's at four thirty on ABC. UCLA against Boise State. The Bruins are favored by four. What do you think? I, I with bowl games, it's always who wants to be there. And I feel like Boise State, this is the game that Boise State will circle on the calendar. I'm not convinced with some of the um, player departures and the staff departures that that uh, UCLA has built for this game. I like Boise State to win this game. So I'll take Boise State in the four points. I think UCLA, this is a not a great matchup for the Bruins. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And Boise has played great since they made that coaching change midseason. They won four in a row. Spencer Danielson got named permanent coach. Uh, Bruins, I, I'm, I, I agree with you on Boise, and I'm, I'm very curious to see what kind of crowd the Bruins get. I mean, you know, it is closer to camp. SoFi Stadium is closer to campus than the Rose Bowl is. But I just don't know how many folks – care at this point about UCLA it would be something if Boise outdraws the Bruins and ba- what is basically a hometown game for them so uh, I got the Broncos to win outright as well next game is also Saturday so 615 Saturday on ESPN Independence Bowl so this game is going to basically start you know right around halftime of UCLA Cal against Texas Tech the Bears are a two and a half point dog uh, in Shreveport I don't have a great feel for this game, but I did see Texas Tech and Cal both in person. Uh, the problem is I saw them earlier in the year in person, and I really, like, based on my my eyes from early in the season, I, I have to like Texas Tech in this game. But, um, you know, I don't like the way that Texas Tech finished. I don't like uh, the way the conference they played in was weak. Um, and I kind of just wonder if maybe Cal – looks at this, we always talk about is, you know, is this your bowl game? Well, this is Cal's bowl game. It actually is the bowl game. Um, and so, you know what, I, against my better judgment, I'll take Cal in this game. I'm going to guess that you're one of about 10 people on the planet that saw Texas Tech and Cal both in, in person. person. In person. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I like Cal too. I think that this reminds me a lot of the Cal season in 2019 where they finished real strong, they won the red, but the now defunct Red Box Bowl, and they really had some momentum. And then, you know, what two months later, COVID hits and really just kind of set things back for for Cal's program by multiple years. But they 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 won their last three, very impressive against UCLA. They've got their young quarterback set, uh, Fernando Mendoza. Jay Knott has not entered the transfer portal. Uh, I like Cal. I think Cal is going to win this thing outright. And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty good recruiting exposure for Cal in the South, given that that's going to be, you know, an ACC school here starting next next fall. So uh, this is a good game for Cal. And I think it's actually they'd probably rather be in L.A., but it's not a terrible location given where they're going to be playing and recruiting in the future. Las Vegas Bowl, December 23rd on ABC, Utah, Northwestern, Utah, six and a half point favorite. They were like. An eight and a half, nine point favorites, down to six and a half. Um, 
they haven't been great in the postseason in the last few years. I, I want to say, you know, they've lost some Rose Bowls. They've lost the Holiday Bowl. But this is a different animal. This is Northwestern. I think this is a game Utah will win. I know uh, Utah has played well, but, um, I mean, uh, Northwestern has played well, rather. But I'll take Utah. I'll take Utah and continue the uh, Pac-12 trend here. And at that point, I think the Pac-12 will have two wins in bowl games. So I'll take the Utes. I'm actually going to take Northwestern and the uh, and the points. Uh, you, but you're right. Utah has hit a skid. They're, I looked it up. Their last win, their, their skid, they've lost four in a row in bowl games. And that skid started against Northwestern in the Holiday Bowl in 2018. Um, but I, you know, I, I just don't know who's playing for Utah. They had so many injuries, uh, and Northwestern has been impressive. You know, they had that huge scandal before the season and Pat Fitzgerald got fired and the interim coach is a guy named David Braun. He was named big 10 coach of the year. Uh, so I just, I'm picking Northwestern. I don't have a great feel for it, but I'll take those six and a half points. I just feel like those other Utah bowl games were, those were big bowl games against big opponents. And, you know, Northwestern doesn't scare me if I'm Utah. Uh, Holiday Bowl, U- USC, Louisville, December 27th. Uh, USC's getting points in this game. Is that right? A lot. Seven and a, a half. Lot of points. Why? No Caleb Williams. That's no, and no defense. <laughs> I like I like SC with those with seven I for sure with seven and a half points. I think they could win outright, but golly, I'll take that. I mean, they still got they still got pretty good players. They could still score. You know, uh Louisville could not. Uh Florida State's very good, but Louisville, you know, lost to Florida State. Florida State was playing a a, a walk-on emergency starter at quarterback. Uh I, I, Jake Jack Plummer, who's Louisville's starting quarterback, he was at Cal last year. I was not very impressed with him. Uh, I'll take the Trojans in seven and a half. That seems to me, it's, I think they're going to be pretty motivated for this one. I don't know. I don't really have a good reason for thinking that, but I think we could see a pretty good performance from them. So many, so much of this game, these games come down to who wants to be there. And yep. we often can't tell until the game kicks off, right? And like to be down on the field before the game, kind of looking the players in the eyes. But um, I'll go, I'll I'll go against you. I, I I just I don't believe in USC. I need to see it to believe it. Show me something. No Caleb Williams. No defense. I'm gonna go Louisville in that game. But um, part of it is, I I'm guessing Louisville will want to be in that game. And again, I'm guessing. Uh, Alamo Bowl, Arizona, Oklahoma, December 28th. Arizona's a three point favorite. I'll go first here. I think. This game is made for Arizona. This is the game, the bowl game that I feel the best about. Arizona's going to have m- almost all of their players. They'll be at full strength. But I love how they played this year, and I think it feels to me like Arizona really needs to put a bow on the season, and Oklahoma's the perfect patsy for this. You got Dylan Gabriel, their quarterback, out. They're going to have to start a uh, very inexperienced uh, QB, a backup QB, Oklahoma will. I just think it's made for Arizona. I, I love Arizona in this game. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma's quarterback has already transferred to Oregon. That tells you all you need to know about the state of college football these days, right? Uh, and the guy who's who's going to play for them, Jackson Arnold, is very well regarded. But, you know, he's got no experience. 
I like Arizona too. Plus, I like the fact Arizona was 10 and 2 this season against the spread, the best record in the country. Uh, they're going to have, they should have their main guys. I like Arizona. They'll be motivated because of the name of the opponent. So I, I'm with you. I like Arizona. I think this is a, a, a real good way for them to end this season. Uh, you know, a huge success for them. I'll take, I'll take the cats and give those points. Next game, and this is an interesting one, right? Sun Bowl, Oregon State, Notre Dame. It's December 29th, 11 a.m. on CBS. The Beavers are getting six and a half. Uh, do you have any idea who's playing quarterback for Oregon State? Should be Ben Goldbrinson. I mean, he, oh, okay. he started the bowl game last year, the Vegas Bowl. He's their bowl quarterback. And keep in mind, uh, 7-1 as a starter last season, two seasons ago, I guess. And he'll be the guy at QB for Oregon State. And to me, it, it it comes down to, you know, I think Goldbertson is competent. I think he'll have a lot to prove in the game. And I think the Oregon State kids who are there are going to really play hard. But I just, do you have a sense about Notre Dame? I covered Notre Dame as a beat reporter. They weren't excited to go to a Gator Bowl. And here they are going to a Sun Bowl. They're, they've got to be moping around South Bend right now. Yeah, and, and their quarterback, Sam Hartman's opted out. So, I agree with you, and, and uh, the I like the fact that Notre Dame got sent here, right? The ACC had a huge controversy on its bowl uh, assignments because, n- like, none of the bowls had had ex- planned for Florida State not making the playoff. And so once Florida State got got uh, boxed out of the playoff, they had the this this long conference call with all their bowl partners to to kind of sort things out and. Notre Dame ended up in El Paso, and it's great. It's like the best thing that's happened to Oregon State in forever, right? Because it comes right after Jonathan Smith leaves, and they lose their quarterbacks. Damian Martinez has his issues, and then they get uh, an opponent, Notre Dame. You know, you can't ask for more in terms of a uh, a big-name opponent. So I, I, I thought that was a, a nice little break for the Beavers. But I also wonder, is Notre Dame just going to pound them on the, uh, at the line of scrimmage? You know, it'll be – It'll be interesting to see how how the Beavers hold up there. I've got Notre Dame and giving the uh, the six and a half. I'll also take Notre Dame, but I just don't I don't have a feel for who's going to be on the field for Oregon State. And and traditionally, you know, you've got Trent Bray in, but he's not coaching the bowl game. He's recruiting, and you know, he certainly has been around the. But I just don't know if this is that game where they rally around the new coach and go prove that they belong and all that stuff. But there's a little cachet there for Oregon State fans. I think they will tune in, hoping that it's a repeat of the Fiesta Bowl from all those years ago with Dennis Erickson. Oh, yeah. They they should have let Erickson coach the damn game. Bring him in. Let him coach that thing, you know? There you go. And they could bring in uh, Ocho Cinco. Yep. Have uh, the Oregon State players in that Fiesta Bowl, they were— Frisking each other with the goalposts, you know, it was just, uh, it wasn't the greatest scene, a lot of personal fouls, but they won the game. Uh, speaking of Fiesta Bowl, Oregon Liberty, January 1st, Oregon's an 18 and a half point favorite. The Ducks um, are going to have Bo Nix at quarterback. I think this game is uh, built for an Oregon blowout. I think Oregon will be motivated, even though they will be playing without some key players. I think Oregon's too good for Liberty. It's the first Power 5 conference game for Liberty, and I think Oregon will be licking its chops, hoping to uh, lay it on Liberty pretty good. I think Oregon wins that game, and I think they win it by 21-plus. Yeah, this is my uh, 
five-star special. With what, assuming Knicks does indeed play, and there's no reason to think he won't at this point, uh, I just I think he will. His presence alone and wanting to go out on a high note, uh, I think that's going to motivate the whole Oregon team. And Liberty is first of all, Liberty shouldn't be in this game, right? I mean, the committee. I think the committee blew it as bad or worse with Liberty as it did with the Florida State situation, uh, right? I doesn't. It makes no sense to me that they put Liberty as the highest ranked group of five team, given that they had the worst schedule in all of major college football, 133rd out of 133 teams. Uh, they are not like uh, Boise State in the Fiesta beating Oklahoma. They are not like UCF or Cincinnati or any of the really good group of five teams that have won their New Year's Six games. This team's nothing like that. I think Oregon is going to smoke them. And uh, it's unfortunate that Oregon got handed this opponent. It's unfortunate for the Fiesta Bowl. The Fiesta Bowl had nothing to do with it. This is all on the committee. Uh, it should be SMU and not Liberty. SMU beat a ranked team and got passed in the rankings by by Liberty. I don't understand it. Uh, and this is going to the committee's going to look bad when this game is like 46 to three. Yeah, I agree. And it, look, Oregon has shown no mercy to inferior competition. They beat Portland State 81 to seven. Keep in mind in non-conference play this year, and so um, I I don't think it's uh, going to be pretty. And I think Bo Nix and the Ducks are excited to have a uh, uh, a huge statistical game and a big win to send him off. Sugar Bowl, Washington, Here we go. Texas, January one. Huskies are getting four. Um, I'll go first. I I just think Michael Penix Jr. and Washington. Played with a chip on their shoulder in the Pac-12 championship game. He does not win the Heisman Trophy. That chip's still on his shoulder, still on Washington's shoulder. They are a underdog in this game. I I think uh, it'll be a home game for Texas down at the Sugar Bowl, but I think Washington's going to be just fine. I think they make enough plays. I think the Huskies win. I think it's a great game. I'll take Washington in the four points. I like the Huskies to cover as well. Uh, if this game were even, I'm not sure. Texas has got some big-time players on the lines of scrimmage. Their defensive line especially. You know, this is like uh, they're, uh, Was the only other team Washington's played that, that can match Texas is Oregon, and both of those games were obviously super close. This is, a like you said, basically a home game for, for the Longhorns, right? It's I think it's a seven-hour drive from Austin to New Orleans. It's a great uh, school colors game, though, isn't it? Burnt orange and purple. I think that'll be a great look in the stadium. But man, it's it's going to be the, the Huskies. The, it is going to be tough for them at the lines of scrimmage. I think this is a game where they their defense has got to come through on a couple of big stops. Michael Penix has got to do what he has done all season, which is make like the three most important throws of the game. He's got to hit them all, and he's done that uh, for them to win. But it's going to be close. I, I think both playoff games, both semifinals, should be really good. We usually get blowouts in the semis. I think we could have two terrific games this year. I like Washington. I just think, you know, look at how they've played in one-score games. This has got one-score yeah. game written all over it. You know, I, I can't pick against Michael Penix Jr. and the Huskies. 
in what I think will be. Well, a they tight certainly game. know, you know, they played plenty of big time road games this year, you know, so having a, a pro Texas crowd, I don't know that that's going to be that big a deal for Penix, uh, but it, their defense is going to have to play as well as it can possibly play. Read me at johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription or a paid subscription. Makes a great Christmas gift as well if you're still looking for one and the sports fan in your life. And you can read John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group at pac12hotline.com. Uh, want everybody to have a, a great holiday and a great bowl season. Tweet at us. Tell us your picks in the bowl games. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast and share this podcast with friends. Uh, Wilner, any parting thoughts? Parting thought, thank you very much to Pacific Seafood for all of your support. Again, PacificSeafood.com. You go to the Where to Buy button, and if you use the promo code Kenzano and Wilner at checkout, you get 12% off. Uh, they will ship anywhere. It is the healthiest protein on the planet. We certainly greatly appreciate all their support.